So God be the glory. If it touches one person's heart to turn them to Christ, then that's what it's all about. All right. Good evening, everybody. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Amen. We have to always know and understand what that means. And also, as we look in Ephesians chapter 5 tonight, the whole chapter starts off with a, with a heart of love. When Paul is writing to the Ephesian elders, this is a group of men that love Paul beyond measure. He visited Ephesus a few times, and, and, and also we noticed that this is the first church on the, out of the series of seven in the book of Revelation, the first one that Lord Jesus addresses. And an interesting point that we're going to be discovering here, as, as Paul is talking about love, in chapter 5 here, that's the same thing that Jesus has warned the church about many years later into the future when John is on the island of Patmos and the Spirit brings John up into heaven. And Jesus is talking to John face to face. And one of the things he said, you know, write, write to the messenger or the angel of the church of Ephesus and write these things and say, you're doing a lot of church stuff, but there's one thing you like. He said, return to your first love, meaning return back to me. So Jesus was telling them. And if we're not too careful, church can be inundated with a lot of programs. And they miss the most essential of all, and that's loving Jesus. Because it's not programs that pull men and women and boys together. Uh, together. It's the love of Christ that causes a sinner to be converted from a sinner to a son or daughter of God. And there's nothing more important on this earth to God than when a sinner is converted. In fact, this thing is so heart-touching to God that Jesus said when he was here, he said, all of the angels rejoice when one sinner converts. Mm -hmm. And you know that's, that's absolutely heart-touching. When you think about that, what the Son of God did on the cross, he went there because men were completely separated from God. One of the most difficult things to do for church folks who are not saved, but people that's been going to church all their lives, is this is the problem. They don't see themselves as sinners. And when a person doesn't understand that he or she has sinned against God, it's very difficult for the gospel to reach them. And that person is living in a very dangerous position. And unless they open a heart when the Holy Spirit talks to them, that person, even though in their heart that they've been in church all their lives, they've been doing the church thing, is on a one-way street to hell. And we have to call it what it is, it's sin. It, the high sin is not to acknowledge the Son of God and his plan of salvation on the cross. That is the greatest of all sins, because now you're denying the work of the Holy Spirit. What God has done today is that he sent you and I here together for one purpose, and that purpose is to understand what Christ has done. And Paul, by way of the Holy Spirit, is writing to us, boys and girls, letting us know this is what our Lord and Savior did 2,000 years ago, 
And what was done 2,000 years ago on Calvary is still applicable today. It has not changed and it will not change that the hallmark of creation and it's going to come to a pinnacle is the day when Jesus revealed himself to every nation on earth at one time. And it is at that moment of revelation is when Jesus will gather the nations together and they will see Jesus sitting as the king over all the nations. And they will not only see him as king over all the nations, they will see Jesus, the son of God, as judge over all the nations. And Jesus said that in John chapter 5. He said, my father judges no one, but he has given all judgment to his son. So on the day of judgment, it's not God that will be judging men. It will be Jesus. So there's a very powerful warning for those who like to call Jesus children, Jesus freaks. <laughs> well, the father of the freaks are going to be judging you. And so never forget that. As we get ready to go before the Lord in prayer, um, we have to remember Dick and Amelia continually in prayer. I know that he had some improvement, praise be to God, on Sunday. Um, but there's still that time, those moments in which we want God to go in and grab his heart and just restore his heart back to brand new. And that's what we're asking for. We're asking for God for our complete healing of Brother Mia's heart. Isn't the biggest thing in life to admit you're a sinner? I've sinned plenty in my life. Yes, ma'am. Right? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Absolutely. Like, I'm a sinner. I mean, I've done wrong things. I've done mm -hmm. plenty of wrong things. Mm -hmm. So what you're asking for is for just to forgive you your sins. Yes. If you... Yes, ma'am. Here's the thing. John makes it very clear in his first book called First John, throughout all five chapters of there, he said, he who says that he have not sinned makes God a liar. Right. And I'm not so sure any human want to stand and call God a liar face to face. <laughs> I know I don't. Me not. Okay. So, and then John, at the end, towards the end of his first chapter of First uh, John 1 in that letter, he says, if we confess our sins. And language is kind of funny. If you take and turn that word if into S-I-N-C-E, since we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us for our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And God meant that. God wholeheartedly means when Jesus went to the cross, as John would record in heaven in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, he said, and he has washed away our sins in his own blood. There is no record of your sin. Only time that, 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 that God said that he's going to hold you accountable if you deny the fact that Jesus' death took away your sins. If you say to God, there's some other way to him other than through his son, Jesus, well, you have said to God, I reject your plan of salvation, that Jesus isn't the only way to get to you. And that's a very dangerous position to be in. Very dangerous. Okay. Uh, let's get ready to go before the Lord in prayer.
And uh, kids, why are you gonna sit a little bit closer instead of so far away? And we'll, we'll go and pray to the Father. Now, normally we have a little bit larger crowd, but there's a lot of people out sick with this bug that's going on. And uh, we'll pray for them as well. Uh, Matea is, is new to us tonight, the young lady that's walking by. And she has a, come to find her mom and our friends on Facebook. And so uh, we thank God that, that she's here because the gospel reaches every soul. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of God, reaches every soul. And we just got to be willing to give it. Okay? And never, ever water it down. Do not water down the gospel. Because when you do, it's no longer the gospel. And the moment that you do that, you become a curse because you just come out with a new gospel. As Paul said in his letter to the Galatian church there in chapter one, he said, even if an angel come down from heaven with another gospel, let him be what? A curse. And we do know all the way back from Deuteronomy when Moses wrote at the end of chapter 28, I think it is, when it says, um, curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. So you may not hang on a tree, but your doctrine says you're worthy of hanging on a tree. And to God, you are cursed. And that's not a good thing. Every person needs to be in the heart of God by way of Christ. Okay? I was waiting on her to come back. God didn't want her to uh, not miss prayer. Um, we had a very good Bible study with the younger kids today. And we talked about the time in which the, the Magi or the wise men came to Jesus. What did all that mean? And there were some important clues about what took place during their visit. Could you add Haley, a little girl named Haley? Sure. She has stomach issues. It's really tearing her and her family up. Okay. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you now in the precious name of your son, Jesus, giving you honor, glory, and praise because you are our God. Father, you're just loving beyond measure, and you're awesome in all of your ways. And above all the things that we can ever know about you, Lord Jesus told us that holy is your name. And Lord, as your word told us that there's no sin in you. You're pure in every way. And your children must be pure in order to stand in your presence. And Lord Jesus, by the shedding of your blood, you came to make us pure. And tonight, Lord, in your name, we come before God's throne of grace, seeking help for little Haley. Father, you already know what's going on in her stomach. You know every inch of her. You know every cell, every nucleus. You know exactly what's going on in her body. And we're asking you by your spirit to rebuke that sickness. And Lord, bring forth your healing. And just as you told the children of Israel coming out of the wilderness, I'm the Lord your God that heals you. And we thank you for that, Jesus, that certainly by your stripes we're healed. And we're praying for restoration, full restoration of Brother Amelia's heart, Lord. His heart rhythm, the cells, Lord, that have died. Father, will you bring those to life? Will you create new cells in his heart right now? Bring those cells from heaven all the way to the earth by your spirit. In Jesus' name, and heal him this very moment. Surely, Lord Jesus, you love this man, and he loves you. Let this be for a great testimony to your great name. 
And Father, for everyone that come here today and those that are sitting here in your presence in the name of your son, Jesus, that come to hear your word. Lord, speak for your children are listening. We need your divine attention, Father, so that we can hear what your spirit is saying to us, your church, not just during our Bible study, but others that are going on throughout the world, Lord. Father, there's but one body, and that's the body of Christ. And we're asking you, Lord, to speak so that your children can listen. And then, O oh Lord, give us the wisdom and power from on high to carry out whatever message that you've given us and to be a witness to our neighbors and to the strangers and members of our family and any other person that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Will you help us do that, Lord? Will you come in our presence now? Lord, we don't want this to just be a usual Bible study. We want the presence of the Lord with us because there's nothing more wonderful, more glorious and full of life than when you come in among us and be with your children, Jesus. As our sister said, we all have sinned, and certainly we have. We all have sinned and fallen short of your glory. And we're asking you, Lord, to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I thank you for all the new ones that come in. And Lord, last week and on Thursday, how you packed this place out. And then Sunday, another full house, Lord. And, and most importantly, Father, we thank you for the glory of Christ that was here in our midst. And Lord Jesus, we love you, and we know that you're here by the Spirit. And I'm going to shut up and ask your Spirit now, will you teach us now the things that Lord Jesus said that we are to learn? And will you speak through the Word of God to our hearts today so that we can grow thereby? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So Ephesians chapter 5, we actually stop. There, verse 17, up to this point, Paul was telling the, uh, the Ephesian elders and the entire church about God. And the first verse tells them to imitate God. You ever want to be like someone? Be like God in love. Be like God in kindness. Be like God in integrity and in honesty. King David, after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband Uriah killed, in his confession before God, as we see it in Psalms 51, he tells you and I that God desires truth in the inward parts. And God can deal with a great number of things that any person have. He can deal with every issue as long as we don't try to camouflage the truth from him. As long as we come with the truth, with a heart of repentance, Jesus is able to clean that life up again. I'm a living witness of that thousands and thousands of times over, that Jesus is a loving, forgiving Father, and he will certainly come in and restore us back in the right fellowship with God and with himself if we come with the truth, okay? And that day when he was talking to those Jews in Jerusalem, as we see the account in John chapter 8, he's saying, you will know the truth, and the truth will do what with you? Say it again, sister. Set you free. Absolutely set you free. Because a lie and sin keeps a person in bondage. Paul, in this letter here, it's going to detail that in many ways. In verse 17 here, I'm going to move out the way so you can see. I'm going to scoop back a little bit. Um, I can't read it. I can. I'll read it for you. 
Uh, I'll probably go from the New American Standard on this one. He said, so this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Uh, that's a mouthful. When people hear the word Gentile doesn't necessarily mean people who are not Jewish because this church was made up of both Jews and Gentile Christians. Okay. So he wasn't just calling out Gentiles there. He was using that as a metaphor to speak to sinners. Okay. So sinners in the emptiness of their mind, because that's what futility means. There's nothing worthy up there for God because their lives are bent on what? A life of sin. And so he's saying now there's some stuff. God has to do some spiritual surgery up there to help you change the way that you're living. Because a person whose life is bent on the ways of this world cannot be pleasing to God. In Paul's letter to the Roman church in chapter 8 there, he says that a life that's bent on the flesh, in other words, worldly living, cannot please God in no shape, form, or fashion. Okay? But when we set our minds on the things of the Spirit, in other words, of God and Christ, then that's what pleases the heart of God. Is that always easy for us? No, because there's a lot of things around us in this world that's appealing to us. Okay? And whatever that may be, you and God knows. Okay? I can make an external observation of things that I see about a person's life or my own life and say, okay, God is probably not pleased with that, according to Scripture. But it's those hidden things in the heart that nobody sees but God sees. Those are things that really could get you in trouble. All right. So those things that are hidden in the heart is just as much a sin to God as those overt acts where everybody could see them are. And uh, so Gentiles walk around in their minds. He said being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. How many times have you seen? Uh, uh, matter of fact, use yourselves as a testimony here. Before Jesus saved you and I, what was our lives like before that? Were we running to God and say, God, show me how you want me to live? Were we running to the word of God daily, opening it up and saying, okay, I want to be just like Jesus. No, I say to you, God was far from us. Many of us didn't even know the name God. We didn't know the name of Jesus and certainly didn't even know what the Holy Spirit was. They known the word of God. Why? Because our upbringing and the way we lived and all was all about the world. Our society, our environment, our everyday life was bent on the things of this world. But when God sent his spirit to us and drew us in and we heard the word of God, whether it's through someone sharing it with us or we picking up the Bible, reading it for ourselves. It was only in those moments that God said, OK, I want you to listen to me. And when we listen to God's spirit, when his spirit spoke to our spirit, he's the one that helped us make that change to place trust in God's son, Jesus. And it's that trust that brought about the change in our heart so that you and I can become sons and daughters of God. Okay. Now, anytime you have questions, you can always read, speak up and there's no stupid question. Okay. Or ignorant question. All right, much as I don't like the NIV, anybody have an NIV version? 
right, I'll go over to the New King James side for a moment. And looking at verse 19, uh, who being past feelings have given themselves over to lewdness. What is lewdness? Young people in the back, what is lewdness? What is that? L-E-W-N-E-S-S. What is lewdness? You ever heard of lewd and lasciviousness acts? In fact, it's written on just about every state law books. Is it a not-caring? Lewd and lasciviousness means that you're unclean sexually. All you've been on is sexual sins. Mm -hmm. Okay? Lewdness means that... In fact, our whole society, just about in everything, has turned in that direction. Especially coming out of Hollywood. Especially, even in just ordinary commercials, you see it. The selling of cars. Have you seen Hardest commercials? Yeah. Carl Jr.'s is from California. Okay, lewdness. Okay, that's what that is, lewdness. And God doesn't want that for his children. He is, is God is in the business of recreating us, that is the, the way we think and see things. The Bible calls it transformation. That's why in Romans chapter 12, he said, be renewed. Why? By the transforming of your mind. Romans 12, 2 said, do not be conformed to this world, but re be renewed by the transforming of your mind. When the mindset gets changed, your way of thinking gets changed, so does outward behavior. Well, that's where the government, when the government turns a sin and makes it legal, that's where we have our problem. Yes, sir. And we can go back and we can look biblically at Sodom and Gomorrah. It's obvious that those cities' government had approved of those lifestyles. Okay? In fact, God, that was one of the first warnings God gave the children of Israel going into the promised land. He said, do not be like the nations before you, okay, whom I'm going to drive out. He said, don't be like them because this is what they do. And there's a whole host of things in which those nations were doing. When you get started in the book of Exodus in particular and read on forward to the book, end of uh, Deuteronomy, you would see the sins of those nations. And God says, don't be like them. Don't be like them. Don't be like them. And uh, so lewdness is one. And then what else did he tell us? Over here. Can you see it? Lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. We live in a society that tells you to get all that you can get while you can what? Get it. Doesn't mean it's legal. Right? But if it's there for your taking, get it. Legalize gambling now. You know why... God does not condone gambling among his children. It's because they don't place their trust in him. People spend their last dollars trying to hit that big one. And many have lost everything they have. The recent studies have shown that gambling is more addictive than pornography. And it damages more families than you can imagine. 
So it has a very bad impact on society. All right. So, but you have not so learned Christ. Another way to say that from the Greek over here, uh, in verse 20, as you look at it there, when it says you have not learned this from Christ, in the Greek is that Jesus didn't teach you this way. Did, did, did Jesus teach you to hate your neighbor? Did Jesus teach you to steal and be conniving and, and, and embezzle and, and, and to rape and to kill and all those things? Did Jesus teach you these things? No. Did Jesus teach you to hate God or hate your brother? No. No, Jesus didn't do that. So that's what he's saying. Did Jesus teach you this way? No. So the answer is no. So if he didn't teach you to be that way, then neither should we. We shouldn't live a life like that. Because Jesus' way, remember, I want to share this with you. Where was Jesus from? Pretty simple question. Where was Jesus from? Huh? No, you're thinking earthly. Where is Jesus from? Heaven. Jesus come from the heavenly society. So that's what we got to think. Jesus society where he come from that society was built by his father and in that heavenly society there is no sin there is no corruption and so Jesus is saying since you are now my father's son and my father's daughter you are now part of the heavenly society so you are now citizens of heaven while living on earth. So you can no longer think like earthly citizens. You have now got to start thinking like heavenly citizens. Okay. Uh, that's a pretty precious way to look at it. And uh, thank you, Deacon. You learn fast, buddy. <laughs> it is a... In verse 21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. God, the, the, as the truth is in Jesus. If you want to know how to live a life, look at Jesus. The four gospel details the heartfelt life of Jesus. The book of Acts just tells you how those men went out and they began to teach what they saw Jesus do and what Jesus had said. Okay? But the four gospels in themselves tell us exactly what he said and what he did. Here's another point in which you can write down. From Genesis to the end of the book of Malachi, it tells you what he was going to be like and what he was going to do. Those 66 books all together that makes up the Bible tells you and I the whole story of Jesus. Okay? And so when we see those first books of the Old Testament, all of them there, they all are the conglomeration, the totality of who Jesus was going to be. What it was going to be like when he got here. And what is it he was going to do. It even talks about his death and his resurrection. And it also talks about his coming back again. Okay? All that before we would get over in the New Testament. And then there's a 400 year gap between the two of them. And then when he shows up, the four gospel tells us everything that he did. In fact, John closes his book by saying that if there was enough books in the world, he said, then I might be able to write. Mm -hmm. 
and tell you everything that Jesus said and did. But since there's not enough volumes in the world, I, I, I can't write to you about it. And not only that, John wouldn't have had that much time. That's how much Jesus did. What, they, what the Holy Spirit had those brothers give us was the high points of what Jesus did when he was here. Not every detail. And so, you want to know what Jesus is like? Pull out the four Gospels. Matthew tells you that he's king. He's the reigning king. Mark tells you about his miracles. That he has power over creation. He has power over the demonic. He has power over sickness and disease. That's what Mark focuses on. Luke tells you that he's the absolute greatest teacher there is. And he's the greatest one in which you can come in contact with. And then John sums it up. He said, but he's human, just like me and you. He's the God man, okay, that came down here and he lived life just like you and I did, but yet without sin. Okay. And then they all tell you the finality of Jesus' life, that he died on the cross for our sins. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead. Okay. And then Luke Continues that thought over in Luke to in his letter to his friend Theophilus over in the book of Acts when he said, Dear Theophilus, there have been many accounts of what Jesus had said and done, but I have gathered them all together in a more accurate manner. And here is what Jesus said and done. And all the way to the time in which Jesus was taken up. That's what Luke tells his good friend Theophilus, a Roman official. So, you want to know truth, study God's Word, as my wife liked to say, from pillar to pole. <laughs> from Genesis to Revelation. All right? Are you cold? You can read it, but you can also the law that there is. There's so much there, Mr. Bill. I have spent a great number of years studying the Scriptures. And... I still see myself only touching the tip of the head of a needle when it comes to knowledge and understanding of the Word of God. Because why each time you get in it, and it could be something that you read hundreds of times, the Spirit gives you a fresh insight and go, whoa, I didn't know that. Sometimes I used to tell, we used to freak out sometimes at Bible and go, whoa, did you see that? And go, and, and that's what God does. Sometimes I'm preaching and going, no, God, y'all not going to believe what I just seen in the Spirit. And go, look at that. And that's why I learned to depend upon the Holy Spirit when teaching and preaching the gospel. Okay? What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, folks. It's, it's Genesis to Revelation. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, back here. So he says the truth is in Jesus, right? Surely you, you heard of him and were taught in him according with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. Um, a lot of people don't understand that behind the scenes in their heart lies a spirit. The, the real you in which no one can see. That's the one that drives you. And if that spirit has not been rebirthed by God himself, then that spirit, the old you, is subject to any kind of influence. And it doesn't matter what kind of influence it is. 
Paul called it, and James both said, different wines of doctrine. Okay, different types of teachings. That's why it's so important that these young folks right here, these pre-teens and teens, that they get the word of God now. Because it's such a pivotal age that the enemy wants to get a hold of this age group. And he wants to put a seed in them so early that once that seed takes growth, it is impossible to take it out. And it takes God and God alone to kill that kind of seed that's been planted. One of the things that I just recently was looking at and understanding this past week is called culture jihad. Culture jihad. And what is that? Culture jihad, I'm going to share something in this biblical. Culture jihad is when Muslims come in and they pretend to be friendly people in the classroom. They want to get in the classroom teaching. They want to be their students. They want to get on your local governments. They want to get in your state government, your federal governments. And everything seems to be softness, okay, and caring. But the motive is not. The motive is to disrupt, reprogram, reorganize, and reconstitute your nation into a nation of Islam. Satan operates in that fashion. If he can get to a young Christian early and, and put new seeds in there and be such a persuasive spirit to that Christian, then if you are not in the habit of discipling young people with the truth of God's word, what's going to end up happening is that person going to say, I no longer believe in that. You're going, what? Well, I don't believe Jesus is the only way to get saved. Oprah Winfrey put that out. She wrote a book with an atheist saying that there's more than one road to God. Very, very dangerous for young people because Oprah Winfrey is such an influence in the world. What do young people say? Oh, it's Oprah, so it must be what? True. And what about the school she opened in South Africa with all-girls school? What kind of teachings are they getting? So now she's teaching a school full of people not to believe that Jesus is the only way to God. But that's what our society, if we are not careful, that is the direction in which our society is heading. And people out on the street protest and don't understand that there's a spirit out there that wants to reprogram them and turn their whole lives over to nothing but destruction. Here's the truth about all of this, and this is what this man is trying to get these Ephesian elders to understand. Satan does not care about you. He doesn't care about your family. He doesn't care about your business. He doesn't care about you at all. And the Ephesians knew this because practically they were a a cult, a witchcraft serving people. They were the ones that burned all their books, their witchcraft books and sorcery. They burned them. They had a big bonfire and burned them. And it was told to Paul that those Ephesians that had came out of witchcraft by coming to Christ, the other ones who did not were now sending spirits after them. 
And that's when Paul, in the next chapter over, he writes that we, we fight not against flesh and blood. He wanted to let them know that there was a real war going on, a real battle for their souls. And you can't see the ones who are fighting you with the human eye. And you can't touch them, but yet there are real spirits out to destroy you that will cause you real harm while you're living on this earth. And the ultimate price is that they want you, they know that one day you will stand before God. And if you don't have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're going to be ultimately destroyed because you won't be God's son or daughter. But to get people to understand that is very difficult in a 21st century to get people to understand. Oh, man, you're crazy. You're, you're weirdo. Get away from me. You need to be in a mental hospital. Okay? So the author of the Bible needs to be in a mental hospital because she's the one that said to write these things. Understand who the Ephesians were. What did they do? They worship false gods. They worship real demons. And so this letter is powerful. Very, very powerful. Moving right along. So you got to be made what? New in the attitude of your minds. I like the NIV and that you may be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The same thing, uh, the King James, New King James says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Folks, your way of thinking got to change. Young people, the way you're thinking now got to be changed because the way society is teaching you is not the way God said you are to be. Society said it's okay for a woman to be with a woman and a man to be with a man. And they can have the same benefits as a normal marriage. They said, that is family too. What's wrong with two people loving each other? Well, first of all, there's nothing wrong with love in the context in which God says to do it. You're to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Okay? There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus said, new commandment I give unto you that you love one another with the love that I love you will, that you're to love each other. Was Jesus gay? Nope. No. No. So if Jesus wasn't gay, neither should you. That's just cut and plain. Okay? But society says, oh no, you have that right to love whoever you want to. Okay? But that's when society goes against God. And I was so glad that one of the former candidates for president said, but the Supreme Court had ruled on that. She said, now the Supreme Court plan God. They have no right to make that decision. You have no right to go against God's word. I have no right to go against it. Whether it's in that kind of lifestyle or stealing or just hating my brother without a cause. I have no right to go against what Jesus has taught me in his word. I got shared with some guys next door one day, and it's, we were talking about when I was right, wrote in the book, uh, Mime is Hell Real, and I asked them to be my illustrator because they were professional drawers. And they said, what kind of God would send anybody to hell, and why would you want children to read about that kind of God? I don't want nothing to do with that God. And they kept going on and on and on, and finally I stopped and I said, you know what? They said, what's that? I said, he made the rules. Well, we didn't mean to offend you. I said, on the contrary. You just drew me closer to my God. 
He made the rules. So you abide by him or not? It doesn't change who he is. It doesn't. So, NAV, uh, NAU, and put on a new self which is in the likeness of God and has been created in the right righteousness and holiness of the truth. When you put on the word of God, and you can't put it on if you don't know it, when you subject yourselves to the word of God, then you become like-minded, like the word of God. Jesus Christ, let's talk about him for a little bit, shall we, since this is his lesson. In the beginning was the and the word was with God, and the word was God. Okay? That's established. That the word is God. And the word became flesh. Well, what does that mean? He became a baby. He became a human. All right? Let's take it a little bit further. So the word came down here, and it says something that is so profound that the religious leader said, we're going to kill you for saying that. You know what he said? He said, God is my father. And they begin to freak out. What? And after all the things that he was doing, no human were able to do those things. You ever seen a human walk on water? You ever seen a human tell the wind to shut up and it shut up? Uh, better yet, have you seen a human cast demons out of a person? Uh, how about raising the dead? Mm-hmm. You ever seen a human take water and turn it into wine? Or open the eyes of the blind? The very things he was doing pointed that God is his father. But as the word, he is God. Another important statement for you to understand. The same one said, whatever my f- I see my father doing, I do. Whatever I hear my father saying, I say So, how is that hard to understand? Well, from a human point of view, it is. You being a man, saying you're God. Whoa. So you understand the concept of God in Christ better than he does. No, that's not what I'm saying. Well, that's what you just said. That you know Jesus better than Jesus knows himself, and you know Jesus better than God does, and you know God better than God knows God. I'm not saying that's blasphemy. Well, that's what you just said when you told the Son of God that he's not the Son of God. So, do you want to retract your statement? People still today are saying those words. That Jesus is not the Son of God. Jesus is not the Savior of the world. Jesus' body is still in Jerusalem, buried somewhere in an unknown grave. Mm-hmm. Then how come so many people saw him afterwards? 
How come in the 20th and 21st century, women in Iran are seeing them and they're coming to the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? And nobody never preached the gospel to them. But they saw Jesus in a dream and he told them the gospel and they believe. How do you explain that? And many other phenomena that's going on about Jesus. How do you explain them? Here's the thing that you need to know about Jesus. You can take your scientific and your empirical understanding and kick it out the window. And you can take your human rational thought and logic and kick it out the window. Because they're meaningless when it comes to God. And a person that knows that above all people is the man that wrote this book. His name is Apostle Paul. He knew human logic and philosophy better than any human that was alive of his day. Go back and read Acts chapter 17. And Paul is addressing those at Mars Hill there in Athens. And he deals with two groups of people, the Epicureans and the Storts, both Greek philosophers. And he uses their own philosophy to teach them about the one and only living God and his son, Jesus. It's extraordinary teachings. Go back and examine it word for word and look at it closely. And you will see the working of the Holy Spirit. The wisdom of God surpasses the highest intelligence of human form. There is no comparison with God when it comes to human reasoning and logic. How are you going to compare your way of thinking with your creator? Because that's what men do in the classroom. That's what they do when they're in their little clusters and their little societies and their fraternities and sororities and they're making themselves feel good. But we got the inside scoop on this thing. <laughs> God laughs at you. And it says it's in the Psalms. God will hold them in derision and God will mock them. So you think you're that smart, that smart God? <laughs> I'm laughing at you. It's going to be a lot of awakening when Jesus appears. This man is setting a course for people to love God. Okay? Therefore, lay it aside falsehood, otherwise lying, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor for we are members of one body. Stop lying, stop lying, stop lying. Stop lying. Your newspapers, your news magazines, any kind of forms of news media, these things you call spin doctors, spin doctors are nothing but glorified liars. Stop it. Okay. Spin doctors are nothing but glorified liars. Nothing but glorified liars. I can't say it enough. Be angry and yet not sin. Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. Miss Linda, if you slap Mr. Bill, he can be angry with you, but before morning, morning comes, you better have it right. You better have a heart of love for you again. Now, Belinda said, I'll knock you out. You slap me. <laughs> Look, sister, whether I get stupid enough to slap you or not, you still got to love me. Okay? Jesus did not see a human that he didn't love. 
Even the ones that wanted to kill him and the ones who did kill him. He loved that person all the way to the cross. That's a love that I don't understand. That someone is pounding a nail oh. in your hands. They have stripped almost every inch of flesh from your back. They pulled out all your facial hairs, mm -hmm. closed both of your eyes from the beatings. And yet you says to your father, forgive them yep. for they don't know what they've done. What they've done. How? That's love that this world can't understand. But that's the love that came all the way from heaven. Can you imagine having a needle driven into your hand? I hate when somebody stick me with a needle. I'm petrified of needles. Let alone somebody go stick me with a a spike. Okay? But that's what love is when the Father, long before creating us, when He and Jesus sitting there with God's Holy Spirit saying, Let us make man in our image. Folks, our fall did not catch them by surprise. They had a built in plan of redemption. The father knew that he was going to have to send his son in the likeness of sinful human flesh, yet he would not sin. The Holy Spirit knew that he would have to bring him back to life. Okay? All this was part of God's master plan. And you go, well, why God plays with the human race like that? No, that's a father that's showing forth love. Instead of destroying us, he restored us. There's a difference. And do not give the devil an opportunity for what? Do not give the devil an opportunity or give a place for the devil. I told these guys and gals here, and I've told Miss Linda and Mr. Bill this before. I may not always speak things that's pleasing to your ears. Some days I will get on your nerves. Some days you'll get on mine. But I still have to what? Love you. Now, I goofed up and I messed up. I had to go to Brandon's job and tell her one day, I'm sorry. What I did, what I said to you was wrong. She said, yeah, you hurt my feelings. Hey, at this time, people are looking. But you know what? I didn't care. Because the wrong had to be what? Right. Right. And the right way is to say, I was wrong. Right. And I love you. And she said, yeah, you were. And she didn't let me off the hook. She said, oh, yes, you were. But what happened next? I think what touched the heart of people. What happened next, Brandy? We did what? She got her headphones on. I reached out and I hugged her. And she hugged me back. In God's house, and that, now I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about God's family. You can never get too big to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I messed up. In my army days, we just simply say, I screwed up. <laughs> okay, that's the soldier part of me. And uh, he's alive! Yes. To God be the glory. 
So now to give place to the devil, that is a huge one, huge one, huge one in the family of God. We like to kick our wounded brothers and sisters to the curb and then we shoot them and we go back and reload. Instead of restoring such a one that has fallen, you may not put them in the same level of trust again, but don't kick them out the house of God because God doesn't kick them out of his house. Don't you know that Jesus gives every sinner the right to repent? And repentance means what? Making things right with God again. By coming to God in Christ and saying, I messed up. And Jesus said, I know it. I'm just waiting on you to come back. <laughs> Sometimes you have there are consequences. Uh, here's the thing. Just because you don't get consequences from God right that moment, don't mean there won't be earthly consequences for what you've done. Okay? Because if I go out there playing with fire, and I throw a gallon of gas on an open fire and don't run, what's going to happen, Mr. Engineer? <laughs> chances are I'm going to get burned, right? But in heaven, God said, help that child. <laughs> <laughs> I'm helping him. He's dumb, but I'm helping him. <laughs> he doesn't call us dumb. All right, move right along. He who steals must stop stealing, but work or labor, performing with his own hands what is good so that he's able to give something. We went over this last week. If you want to show true repentance, get a job. Go to work and give to somebody that's less fortunate than you. There's always someone worse off than you. When I grew up, when I grew up in Archer, my mom has five boys and five girls on welfare. And we didn't have air conditioning. My mama had the only fan in her room. Okay. In the winter months, we had one heater that was close to the bathroom in the center of the house. And if you can get close to it and then run and jump in the cover, under the covers, that's what you did. You slept at night with the windows up and hopefully the screen didn't have holes in it so the mosquitoes didn't carry off. But we were thankful. We were thankful. We didn't say, Mama, why didn't you get me a brand new swine bicycle? So-and-so got one. And I certainly didn't go and steal my neighbor's bicycle. Or any other thing. So you learn to be content as you are. And if you did live a life of sin, Jesus said, okay, I knew you did that. Okay, I'm going to help you stop it. I'm going to help you have a change of heart. Here's the thing about Jesus, Matea, is that Jesus doesn't tell you to stop doing something. He helps you stop doing it. Because under your own strength, you don't have the ability to stop it. That's why sins continue on, because we don't have that ability to stop. But with Jesus, we do. Okay? So, stop stealing. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication. In short, stop cussing people out. Okay? Stop telling people off. 
All right. The kids today thought I was cussing in Bible study when I told them a man got a donkey tied up to the fence. And it says, I'm going to whip my ass. And they're going, you just cussed, Master Sammy. I go, really? And so I had to go down that road and show them that I wasn't cussing. Deacon Clinton went and got his King James Version Bible, and I turned over to Numbers 23, where we're about Balaam and the donkey, when it says, the ass speaks. And the kids, I said, read that heading right there. What does it say? Did I not, Mateo? And go, I said, you're allowed to read it. Oh, Pastor Sammy, I'm going to listen. I'm not trying to harm you. I'm trying to teach you truth. I had that happen in my class. I, let, I said that word. Well, yeah. <laughs> but we don't, we're, we're not trying to teach people, kids, to be vain. Okay? We're trying to teach them truth. No, Sammy, tell me, what happened to the rest of your brothers and sisters? Did they turn out like you? <laughs> I don't want to boast because I don't know what what me is other than what God sees. So I just pray that they, they have the same level of grace as I do. Your mother brought you up good though. Yes, ma'am. So what so what they do with it, that 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 level of judgment belongs to God, I can't say. Is that fair? But what I'm getting at is the fact that you were brought up properly as a at a young age. Yes, ma'am. Okay. To me from one to five is the best age to instill into your children what they're going to be like later on in life. Is it not? Yes, ma'am. I've I shared with this group now, how my mother was the first one to read the Bible to me. Mm -hmm. And that passage of scripture, Ms. Linda has heard me say it, Mr. Bill, uh, a few times, how that passage of scripture never left me from Revelation when God says, stick in your sickle and reap the earth. That night I have a dream about it. God showed it to me in a dream. It came alive to me. And I didn't know it was at that moment that God had planted his word on the table of my heart, that God had a call into my young life. And... Uh, Yes, it was my mom. My mom died a couple of years ago, and uh, Dick and Clinton went to the funeral with me. But uh, the part that hurt me the most was the fact that my Bible teacher had left me. And she, uh, she and I used to talk in our older age, and she got more wiser in the things of God. And she and I used to talk. My mom had 10 kids, but not all from the same man. And I remember saying to my mom one time as an adult, and as a man of God, I said, Mama, you were so fast on your feet, wouldn't you? And I even said, I said Mama, you was a fast-tailed heifer. <laughs> my sons looked at me like, you just talked to grandma like that? <laughs> they couldn't believe it. I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. But my, if you want to ask, my mom did leave a testimony about me that I didn't know until... The day we had, the day before the funeral, uh, we had reviewed a body. And one of my sisters said to me, she said, Sammy, I don't know if you knew this, but mama said that Sammy is a godly man. Okay. And so to have heard that, uh, it, it touches my heart to know that she knew. But don't you still think that she instilled it into you as a child? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, she did. She did. And I think this is what we're all missing today. Yes. That this isn't being taught in the homes like it was when we were growing up. Yes, ma'am. 
Your, the Bible wasn't read. The Bible wasn't isn't being taught today. Not like it was when Bill and I grew up. Like Mom sat and read the Bible to us every Sunday. You go to church, come home, read the Bible. Right. You knelt every night. You prayed the whole bit. But that was instilled to us from the time almost when we were born. Mm -hmm. And what I'm thinking is no, nobody's doing that anymore. And it's it's a shame because people are are following the trends of society rather than the ways of God. And I know sometimes I get too busy to teach my kids, but we teach them up here every day. And that's why we had to remind ourselves what is our first calling here, and that's to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to children. Yeah. And we made a promise to the Lord Jesus that we would teach kids his word. And we do that. And we try to honor it. We don't always sometime, right, Shelley? But I get back and I said, listen, guys, we messed up. We didn't do Bible study today or yesterday with these kids. If we can't do this, we need to close the doors because we're not doing what we told Lord Jesus we would do. So we know that families out there that are not doing it. We want to be God's people that will do that. And even if families are doing it, we want to reinforce what families are doing with the word of God, with their kids, okay? Um, verse 31, I wanna affect verse 30. Again, this, everything we covered today was actually a repeat of last week. Uh, it said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Uh, what does that mean to you? That you are sealed by God's spirit until the day of redemption. What is the day of redemption? Anyone here knows? Come on, Shelly, you just latecomer, shout it out. The day of, not necessarily day of judgment for God's children, but it's the day of the appearing of Christ. That day when Christ breaks the sky for his children, that is the day of redemption. There is no more time to fall on your knees and say, Lord, forgive me. That is the day of salvation. Okay, that's when everything will be complete. It comes to its fullness. And for you and I, that is the day in which God's spirit is saving us for. He's the one that's working the good of God in us day in and day out. And he's the one that's preserving us until that day. And if we are not conscious of that, we need to be. Because he's the invisible person of God that lives on the inside of us. And he's the one, he's the moral compass in our lives. Not what society says, but the spirit of God. Because he's the one that lets you and I know that we just sinned against God. We just messed up. Okay? And that we need to be coming to Christ and saying, I did this. I was wrong. Can you help me get things right? That's what the Spirit of God does. And he also is the one who, if we need it, he pats us on the back. And it's in the midnight hour when everything seems foggy and everything seems distant from us and we seem all along. It is the one who comes and comforts us. And he assures us that we are not alone. And that whatever crisis that have us in that moment of despair, he's the one that says to you and I, it's okay. I'm here with you. Okay, and he reminds us of the hope that we have in God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. What is the greatest promise of the Bible that Jesus gave you and I? I'm coming to get you. 
He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That is the greatest promise. So when he comes back, he meant that. Even though he's a distance away from us in heaven, he have not left us because his spirit lives where? In us. And he has not forsaken us. Why? Because his spirit is what? With us. So the promise is being kept every second of our life. Isn't that awesome? And these are things in which God wants you to see. They appear to be abstract and that we can't put our finger on them, but they're very much real. That you can reach out and say, oh, Holy Spirit is here with me. How do I know? He said, because child I am. We go, who just said that? <laughs> but he is. How do you explain if God is one, but he has three Oh. Okay. God, three and Here's, first of all, I, I want you all to get this. Around AD 150, a man named Tertullian wrote the term Trinity. And it became such a misunderstanding and complex thing. People. God never intended you to understand things the way he does. Do know God the Father sitting on the throne. Never left. So we do know he came down on the mountain. Do know this, that God the Son also came to the earth and lived as one of us. And do know... Yeah, and do know that God the Holy Spirit has been here from the day of creation. And when Jesus was here, he was even here. Because Jesus told his disciples, he says, you know him, for he is with you. So he was here then. And when Jesus went back, he made it definitely known that the Holy Ghost was here on the day of Pentecost. When the 120 people were filled with the Spirit of God. And so what do we see? We see God the Father, yes. We see God the Son, yes. And we see God the Holy Ghost, but they're not called that in Scripture like that. Jesus himself described it better than any man can. You know where he described it at? Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Are you there? No. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. After he told his disciples, go into all the earth and make nations. Uh, I mean, make disciples in all the nations, right? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He didn't say God the Son, and he didn't say God the Holy Spirit. He said, in the name of the Father, and what? The Son, and what? The Holy Spirit. He just described what you and I needed to know. Now, how else they come together? God and Jesus are one? Yes, they're unified. Absolutely. The Father and the Son are one. Some things that God tells you and I, we're not going to fully grasp. Paul even said that in 1 Corinthians 13. He said, right now we're, we're looking through things as we're looking through a glass dimly. Okay? We don't see the clarity of it, but we know it's there. But that day when Jesus... When Jesus comes back, when Jesus returns, then those things that were a mystery to us will be what? Clear it up. They will become clear. And so I've learned not to bust my brains on certain things. 
and take the word of God at face value. Okay, Jesus. <laughs> you said you were the word, you was God. Okay, I believe that. Now you say you're the son, I believe that. And you say you're the Holy Spirit, I believe that. Okay. I'm not going to struggle against that. But weren't we always taught earlier in life that we weren't supposed to understand all the ways that have happened? That you couldn't? There's no way you could understand the whole way? You can't. Of the Bible? You can't. You can't. You can't. King, no, you can't. One of the wisest men that knew the heart of God more than just about anyone that ever lived was King David. And King David wrote in Psalms 139, he said, Lord, you know my rising up and my laying down, my going out, my coming in. You know my words even before they hit my tongue. He said, you know the sum of them. He said, you know my thinking. He said, you know everything there is to know about me. And he said, and how do you know that? He said, it eludes me. It's too high for me to know this, how you know so much about me. He said, I cannot comprehend it. I think the King James Version said, I cannot attain it, which is another way of saying I can't comprehend it. And uh, he even talked about, he said, God, where can I go and hide from your spirit? He said, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I go into the lowest parts of hell, you're there. If I go into the forest part of the sea, you're there. And he said, even if you was covered in darkness, he said that darkness is like day to you. So you know everything. He said, God, it's a mystery to me. And then he began to describe creation in the womb. He said how God knew all of his members even before they came into it being. He said, you wrote all my parts down in a book. He said, God, how do you know this? But God does. He knows every hair in your head. Yeah, Jesus said that. He knows all the hairs on the head. No laughing. They go for it. God got a sense of humor. Good eyelash. Is there one greater than the other? Okay. So, are you asking me philosophical or spiritually? I get it. I get it. I'm asking. She know what I just got. You know what I just said to you, right? Yeah. yeah. God, 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 God is God, and that's right. It's a mystery. Yep. I just philosophers cannot explain him. I just know that you just know that you know. You just know that you know that you know because he put it in you, and that's why young uh, Jeremiah back there. In Ecclesiastic, Sol uh, Solomon wrote, he says that, and I think it's in chapter 3, uh, you can look it up later, Jeremiah, but it said that God has placed eternity in every person so that they know, even the atheists know that God exists. Yeah. How are you going to tell the one who created you, you don't exist, and he made it part of your DNA to know that you exist. You can't ignore your DNA. Okay? It's, it's a part of who you are. Where are we with time? Okay, 13 more minutes. Clinton, do you realize I just, I just realized what I did? 
I taught from chapter four, then rather than chapter five today. We can't see that far. I did. I just realized. I just taught you. That's why you said we covered this last week. <laughs> we didn't know. Chapter five. But then I looked up here on his board. Yeah, so, I didn't know. I just, I wouldn't just, I was just caught up in the moment of teaching God's word, and I just realized, whoop it, that's chapter four. Go <laughs> <laughs> to show you. Even I, I still struggle with being on that right course. The Spirit wanted you to teach four tonight. Yeah. <laughs> but. <laughs> that's all right. We'll pick up in five next week. That's. Uh, that go to show you that man is not perfected yet by God. <laughs> Amen? Um, anyway, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor. And clamor. What is clamor? Chaos? Yeah. Just the People that like to cause chaos, fighting and stuff. Uh, there's always one. Like to instigate stuff. and. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We used to say, "Keep hell going." Yeah, troublemakers. Okay. When when I was in law enforcement in the military, what we used to do, you fought, you two fought. Yes, you're going to jail. And the person standing on the sideline, that's right, that's right. And they said, "But he started how?" I said, "Oh, you contributed to this, right? What did you say?" Oh, I said, "No, good. Put your hands behind your back too." Why am I going to jail? Because you're an instigator. You caused it. You caused that. And they were just dumb enough to listen to you. It's always a cause. So all three of you going to jail. That's why we will arrest them all. And so. Anyway. Forgiven. Miss Linda, I'm going to put you on the spot. I, I want to see where you've been in the last six years. Four, four years, five years. I don't know how long it's been since you was under my teaching. But. It's been, it's been a while. Yeah. So, describe forgiveness to me. Everybody listen. This is a very important definition she's going to give to us. Yeah. I'm back to my old ways, right? Yeah, putting me on the spot. Putting you on the spot. That was when you was over in the other corner? Yes. Yeah, we were there. I used to teach her. I used to make her think deeply. See, she's been missing that. She's gotten lazy. <laughs> I'm just joking. Sis. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't had anybody to challenge me in a while. <laughs> Please describe forgiveness. I'm a guy that don't know Jesus. I'm on the streets, and you talk to me about forgiveness. Nothing happened. I, I look at it as... It, it but something happened. did happen. To me, I, I forgive you. I don't even bring it back up. It's done. What's that? Forgive. Forgiving each Forgiven. other. Forgiving each other. It's love. Basically, it's love. Forgiving is the easiest thing in the world. Just as God in Christ. It is. I do. In Christ, well. it is. If you look at it through, if you look at it through a human nature point, it's very hard. But if you look at it through Christ, who forgave us. Okay, you two, you through tap dancing now. Yeah, I need you to, you to clear it up. What is forgiveness? Accepting what they did wrong. No, that's accountability. What's forgiveness? Okay. So if you did something wrong to me, if Linda did something wrong to me or vice versa, mm -hmm. I'd go to Linda and say, I was wrong, Linda, forgive me. And hopefully she would, or vice versa. But so, what is forgiveness? 
forgetting about it. Never mention yes, it again. You don't always forget about it. Nope. Young lady in the back, what is it? You raise your hand. What is it? Oh, oh no, she's going to laugh. Yes, Jeremiah. Mercy and grace. It's what? Grace. Mercy and grace. Grace. It's what? Grace. Okay. Let's see. Grace. Forgiveness is mercy and grace. Grace. Mercy and grace. Hmm. Gives us grace. All right. As if we didn't do it in the first place. It's time to go to school again. Yeah. Forgiveness is favor. Favor. No, that's grace. God's grace is favor. Favor. Okay. It is. Mercy is unmerited. What? You 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 can't earn what God is about to do for you, right? That's what mercy is. In a nutshell, we say compassion. But as an unbeliever, if I say I forgive you and you're going to forgive me, what? What does that mean? You have to be able to explain the language of the Bible to people because you want people to grab a hold of it. When you are holding a person hostage because you are holding against them what they have done wrong to you, they don't know that something has to take place. A tie has to be severed. Okay? Something has to be cut loose so that person doesn't longer feel obligated or under your control anymore. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, mm-hmm. he told them, when, when he said, Lazarus, come forth, what did Lazarus do? Do you know the story of Lazarus, Jesus raising him from the dead? Okay. What, 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 tell me the condition of Lazarus. What did they do to Lazarus when they buried him? Embalmed him. Say it again. They wrapped him up. All right. So when Jesus told Lazarus to come forth, this is probably how, boys and girls, look up here. This is probably how Lazarus came out of the tomb. Yeah, he was wrapped up. Why? 